Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have none other than a good friend uh, after today's show, but my first time actually talking to him, Greg Zuckerman. And we're going to talk about some interesting things because I, I am a novice to a part of this world, but I think Greg can highlight some of these things. First of all, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Talk to me. Everything good on your end? All good. I'm uh, in New York City. It's nice to actually be in person once in a blue moon back in the office. I work at the Wall Street Journal in Midtown and uh, things are looking alive. So happy new year to everybody. I mean, the the Wall Street Journal. Make sure you all make sure you pronounce it correctly. Is that like the Ohio State University kind of thing? Yeah. Yes. And speaking of which, Ohio State and Michigan get to play in that consolation game on Saturday. Oh, wait, oh, there isn't even a consolation game. I'm an <laughs> SEC guy. So yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. There you go. Uh, so we start each one of our episodes the same way by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. Um, and you're a career journalist. So talk us through your various stops in your career from Investment Dealers Digest. By the way, you're the first person I know who was there <laughs> and the only person at this point to the New York Post. I have some questions about the Post as well to what you're now doing at the Wall Street Journal. Sure. So basically, I grew up really interested in Wall Street and trading. I The little money I, I got as bar mitzvah presents. I blew it all trading the markets, figured I'd go work on Wall Street someday. Graduated, went to Brandeis University, a small liberal arts school, got to Wall Street. And I, I forget about getting a job. I couldn't even really get an interview. It was a tough time on Wall Street. I didn't have any connections. My dad was, was a professor. My mother sold life insurance. I didn't know anyone. And I spent most summers in camps, working sport, doing sports stuff. I love sports and working with kids and spent most summers working camps. So the I got fired from a few jobs and um, was kicking around trying to figure out what to do. And I finally had a job interview to work for this little newsletter you had mentioned, Investment Dealers Digest. And I was taking a test because I had no clips and I was taking a test to become a reporter. And I'm like, wait, they'll pay me to write about Wall Street? This is what I should be doing. This is my calling. I always loved Wall Street. I always loved writing and newspapers and, and reading. And, and so the, I, I started that little newsletter, worked my way up to New York Post, which was just a complete blast for the sports guys out there. I was sitting near Peter Vesey, and who's a legendary sports reporter, and I'm a sports guy. So got to talk basketball with him. I was feeding gossip stuff to page six when I saw it, and I was doing finance stuff. But then I eventually got to the Wall Street Journal, and I've been there ever since, since 1996. What's the difference in the structure between with I'm not asking for any juice or anything like that or any bad mouthing, but what's the difference in the structure between the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post? They seem to be oh. different ends of the coin or various <laughs> ends of the spectrum. And that is um that's me trying to parse my language there. <laughs> yeah. Listen, one's a tabloid, one's uh mainstream media uh, <laughs> with millions of eyeballs. But, you know, there's some similar DNA. I mean, we were actually cousins within the News Corp um, world and we're aggressive in, in our own ways. They try to break stories. We try to break stories. Listen, uh, there are other things that we do that they don't do and vice versa. Um, but there are cousins of ours and they do good stuff. So we're, we're both aggressive in our own in our own ways. That's fair enough. I don't want you to get called to the chairman's office. I, I appreciate that answer. Um, <laughs> so talk about your beat for a minute. You cover, quote, the markets. But for folks who aren't Wall Street Journal subscribers, what does that mean? Well, yeah. So basically, I've done different things at the Wall Street Journal. I've covered the stock market, the bond market. I've been a columnist. I've written about hedge funds and private equity firms. Guys like Steve Cohen, the uh, owner of New York Mets, have spent a lot of time, Bernie Madoff, that kind of stuff. And now I'm an investigative reporter. So that means I get to roam. 
And last year, I wrote a book and did a lot of reporting on the vaccine chase. How did we develop these COVID vaccines? Who were the companies? Who were the investors? Who, who missed out? Who failed? Who succeeded? You know, the, the highs and lows. And frankly, a lot of what I do is like sports, believe it or not. It's a lot of home runs and strikeouts. How did someone succeed? How did someone fail? The drama behind the scenes. And the story of the last year um, after the COVID vaccine to me was FTX and crypto and this world that I knew very little about. So I threw myself into that. And that's what investigative reporter kind of does. I develop sources, try to get people to talk to me. That's sort of my approach and in my life, trying to get people to say things to me that maybe they they shouldn't always be saying. <laughs> Let me just tell you, can I tell you a Wall Street Journal story? It's a true story. So yeah, um, when I was studying for the um, LSAT exam in 2004, the summer of 2004, I took Kaplan and Kaplan mm -hmm. gave you this LSAT review course and they gave you a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And so when I first started reading it, it was like French and I would circle words and phrases because I didn't understand shit you guys are writing. I just didn't. I was a college student. And then I would go and repeat them and use them in sentences. And by then I was able to speak fluent Wall Street Journal. Helped me get a 160 something on the, on the LSAT. So give a impressive, shout out. Impressive. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. We'll take some so credit. That's great. Great to help. Yeah, please, we can help. Please do. I still, <laughs> I love it. I still read it. Uh, it's like the antithesis to the USA Today, which I swear people just read for the pictures. Anyway, yeah. so... Um, I want to ask you a question because I'm not a big crypto guy. Um, my dad, I come from a small rural community where my dad used to cut up credit cards in front of us and mm. teach us about credit, said, if you don't have the money, you shouldn't buy it. Right. Mm. Um, so crypto was kind of new. So one of the things that we strive for in the show is to help listeners understand the news of the day um, if they don't live and breathe all things Washington or Wall Street. So for people who skim the news, can you help them understand what happened with FTX and when you see an image of Sam Bankman-Fried, how can someone who looks like that snow so many people? Those are all great questions. And frankly, some of the best minds and brightest people on Wall Street are still trying to figure all that out. So I'll take a step back and just explain that cryptocurrencies have become more popular over the last few years. People, especially post-2008, when there was the collapse of the financial system, there were some people and said, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be uh, a new approach where we're not relying on what we call fiat currencies. Basically, that's the dollar and the euro, et cetera, and the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve and all these so-called experts messed up. They blew it. They didn't uh, prevent us from collapsing, the financial system collapsing, 2008. And people said, there's got to be a different way. And some have um, approached um, crypto as and suggest that crypto is the different approach. Why? Well, things like Bitcoin, which is the most popular uh, cryptocurrency, has a, a certain an X amount of cryptocurrencies that are ever going to be produced. So as opposed to the Federal Reserve that some days someday expands the money supplies, the, the amount of, of dollars out there and sometimes contracts it, and it's a bunch of supposedly smart people, and they are super smart, but they make mistakes too, making these decisions, people said, no, 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 we're, we're going to stop relying on others. We're going to start a new currency in which there's just a certain amount that's ever going to be produced. So there's a limit. And people like it because it's electronic. It can be uh, exchanged uh, electronically. You don't have to rely on others, the middlemen, that kind of thing. That's the ideal. In reality, as we've learned over the past year, there are a lot of fraudsters that have also caught on and embraced cryptocurrencies as well. 
And allegedly, one of them is this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried. So what he did was start first a trading firm called Alameda Research, and then FTX. FTX became the second biggest exchange, cryptocurrency exchange, where you can trade crypto, various cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin, but others. And until and what's so fascinating about the story is until the fall, he was a king of crypto, maybe the king of crypto. No, he there was were also two kings, right? There was a little that wasn't there some little uh, there was a little back and forth between he and the other king, right? That's exactly right. A guy we call CZ, a, a Chinese guy. But in, in our world, sort of the Western world, um, Sam was the face of crypto. Why? Because he could go to D.C. and he often went to Washington, D.C. and he was giving money to politicians. People have focused on his donations to the Democrats. It's been a lot that he gave to the, the Democrats, but his number two was giving money to the Republicans. So between the two of them, they were hedging their bets and they became the face. They were also bailing out. They were saving other cryptocurrency companies that were collapsing throughout the summer of 2022 last year. So here he was, this seemingly um, kind and generous and um, and very charismatic young man. He's 30 years old right now, so you have to keep that in mind. And he was worth over $10 billion in the fall. And then it all fell apart. It collapsed. And it turns out he was allegedly running a fraud. And that's what makes it so remarkable that not just did this huge, important company collapse and this in, in, important in, individual at the helm of it, but it collapsed so quickly, billions and billions of losses on his part, but but his clients as well. Um, and now we're all struggling to, to piece to, together why and how it all happened. Is crypto done? I mean, is FTX just the first domino to fall? No, but... For years, this is going to shadow the whole market. You're going to wonder, am I safe? Is this investment safe? Is my brokerage firm safe? Is my exchange safe? You know, getting back to your earlier question is a really good one. Why did so many super bright, established um, companies, firms on Wall Street and in Silicon Valley bet on this guy? Even my good friend Scaramucci. Yes, yes, I know him well, and um, he got uh, did a deal with him. Yes. The answer, I, I would argue, is that he looks the part and he kind of leaned into the part. And you and I might say, well, what, he looks the part of, of the entrepreneur, the potential billionaire is going to change the world. He, he, the guy wears rumple T-shirts and shorts and doesn't get a haircut and doesn't seem to look the part whatsoever. But I, I would explain in that when you're a Silicon Valley, a venture capital investor, you're looking for a home run. You don't really want a single up the middle or even a double off the wall. You just want home runs because you've got a portfolio of bets, a portfolio of investments, and you assume that most aren't going to work out. But one in 10 maybe is going to be a huge home run. So you need the guy that's going to change or the woman that's just going to change the world. So you need the oddball. You like the oddball. You like the fact that he's playing video games during meetings with you. you I might say, well, geez, that's pretty arrogant and shows a lack of discipline and put on a freaking clean shirt if you're going to meet with me and, and ask me for money. But the counter argument from the Silicon Valley folks is no, no, those aren't the kind of people that are going to change the world. And yeah, maybe I'll get nine wrong out of 10, but one of those Sam Bankman Freeds with the unruly hair and the, and the cargo shorts and the unwillingness to, to put on a, a button down shirt to meet with me, those are the guys that are going to change the world. So I'll bet on them, even if, if it doesn't work out nine out of 10 times. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got 
a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Can you compare what we're seeing around crypto with the previous financial crises like 2008 financial crisis? And I'm actually, I, I, I prior to COVID, I would bet that the next financial bubble we saw burst was stu the student loan crisis. I still think eventually that's going to catch up to us. But can you compare what we're seeing around crypto to the 2008 financial crisis? Um, but it, it doesn't seem to be on the same scale. Is that am I right? Well, yeah, I was going to say that it's been very reassuring because many of us worried that there would be contagion. That's what happened in 2007 and 2008. It began with some subprime lenders in Southern California doing things improperly, handing out loans that they shouldn't have. And at the time, people said, well, OK, fine. There are a couple of companies here and there, but why, why does it matter to me? And eventually there was contagion throughout the financial system. You are not seeing that when it came come to crypto. And that's reassuring. Yes, everywhere within the cryptocurrency world, you've seen losses. I don't care where you've invested in cryptocurrency land. Every company is in trouble, uh, is under suspicion, but it hasn't spread to the real economy. We haven't seen job losses. We haven't seen huge financial losses on the part of investors. Part, it, it turned out that the cryptocurrency world was unique to itself. So that's reassuring in a lot of ways. We'll see how long, if, if that continues in 2023, but so far, so good. I was going to ask you to reassure me, but before I get to that, I'm going to ask you a, a, a even worse predictive question to ask a journalist. Uh -oh. So what will Washington do about all of this? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like fraud and lying, but we got laws for that. Um, and uh, the FTX entity that failed, it was registered in the Bahamas. Can you explain how we should be thinking about this and what we should be looking for policymakers to do when you've got these global companies that registered in places like the Bahamas, can we do anything about any of this? Well, here's the thing. The crypto lovers kind of want to have it both ways. On the one hand, they've always said one of the advantages, one of the reasons that they've warmed, warmed to cryptocurrencies, embraced them, is because we, they don't believe in regulation. They, we don't believe in regulators. We want to be independent. We can monitor this ourselves. 
um, enough of Washington, big Washington. They're, they're all big talkers before there's a crisis. Now that there's a crisis, oh, we, we need help from Washington and they're running to get help. Now, the irony here and, and why Washington politicians are in a tough position is that the irony is that Sam Bankman-Fried was at the lead in terms of encouraging more regulation, believe it or not, for the crypto industry. And you could argue that he's being self-serving. They already had established themselves FTX. And if there was more regulation, it would prevent others from taking their market share. You All kinds of different theories as to why he wanted more regulation, supposedly. And maybe he was in bed with the politicians who was giving them so much, so he realized that they weren't going to crack down on him and his firm. Who knows? But the truth of the matter is now politicians are in a tough position because some of the things they would like to do normally are things that Sam Bankman-Fried and his accomplices, alleged accomplices, had been proponents of, had been pushing for. So it, it puts the politicians in a tough position. At the end of the day, I do think the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates investments in, in, um, uh, in the United States, they'll play a bigger role in the crypto world, which will probably be uh, healthy for, for the, those investments. Talk to me about CZ. CZ seemed to yeah. start off with this with a tweet. Uh, yeah, so he, go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. I didn't mean to uh, uh, step on your toes there. So basically he runs a company called Binance. Binance is the, the largest exchange. FTX was the second largest exchange. They, they had at one point a pretty close relationship. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried, who we call um, SBF in, in the crypto world, or yeah, they call him SBF. Uh, so SBF and, and CZ, CZ is also a shortened name from a Chinese name. Um, they were close at one point, and this company, Binance and CZ, were investors in FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried's company. And then in the fall, we're talking just a couple months ago in October, they pulled out. And for reasons that there was a leaked, um, there was leaked information. One day, a trade publication called CoinDesk published the balance sheet of FTX and their sister trading firm, Alameda. And we all said, wait, hold on a second. We always had suspicions and concerns about these two companies, but now we're seeing their balance sheet and it looks really weak. It's full of these, um, what they call shit coins, altcoins, um, made up kind of coins. Yeah. And some of them produced by FTT or, or uh, introduced by FTT themselves. I bought, I bought SafeMoon one time. That was, a, that was the only thing I've ever did. And I, I don't know why I did it. it. It didn't prove safe. Safe. I don't even know that one. That yeah. How did that do? Not so well. No, no, I, I yeah. think it's like yeah, thousand dollars. But all right, good yeah. learning ex- education, good learning experience. <laughs> so yeah, so when there were when concerns emerged about this FTX and, and Alameda, CZ and his company Binance tweeted that they were going to sell um, their stake, this the stake that they have basically in, in FTX and their coin FTT, and that started the ball rolling. That started put, adding pressure to. Uh, FTX and just within days they were really in trouble. So CZ uh, and his rival really kind of put an end to, to FTX. And there's, so there's drama, there's personal drama in, in addition to the, the the corporate drama in this story. It seems like he even by feigning to bail him out got him investigated as well and subsequently indicted because he said, you know, I'm going to bail you out. And then he said, oh shit, there's some stuff back there that I didn't even know how bad it was. It's CC just kind of, as we call it, say it down south, just caught him with the okie doke. <laughs> yeah. Listen, uh, you can make that argument. Uh, the, the, he would argue that, hey, we looked into a little bit more and 
we did our research and we started getting concerned. So we in no way wanted to hurt FTX. We were just looking out for our, ourselves here. So, you, you, you know, I'm a journalist, so I can't really uh, take a position here, but it does the, the intrigue, the drama behind the scenes between the two of them is interesting. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Pivoting from crypto, let's talk about the economy. Gas is down. Um, so inflation is down, but it's still high. Interest rates are still up and the growth is up, but slowing down. What can we look forward to with the economy in 2023? And are we headed towards a recession? Are we in one now? I mean, how will we know? So to me, it's not really important whether it's an official recession or not. We are going to have slower growth and we're going to have to deal with that. It's uh, we've spent years with really impressive growth, um, job growth as, as well. It's helped, especially the last few years, all parts of the economy finally helping those working in the service sector, minorities, others, um, the uh, underclass, lower class. For the first time, for, for a long time, it was really just helping um, those better off the economy. But there have been uh, advances over the past few years that really we really need to cheer and embrace and be appreciative of. That doesn't last forever. Economies work in cycles. People like to point blame all the time. It, it's Trump's fault. It's Biden's fault. Now, you know, the economies work in cycles and interest rates have been very, very low for years. That's helped everything. The housing market, um, when interest rates are low, it helps the average company higher. It's been really hard if you're looking for a job, even today, if you're looking for a job, you're a serious-minded person, you can find a job. And 
you know, I, I, I've been covering markets for, for decades and there were times when st- unemployment was just stubborn and we should appreciate the fact that unemployment is so low today. That said, interest rates have gone, gone higher. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates to combat inflation which got much higher than they had expected over the past year or so, got to around 10%. It's coming down now, but interest rates work in a lag. So the fact that they were raising interest rates last year, they probably will continue to do so a little bit in 2023. They work with a lag, meaning that the economy is slowing. Now, does that mean we're going to get to unemployment of 5 6%? Probably not, but we could be going towards 4 or 5%. So that's going to be some pain. And just in terms of bonuses in terms of salaries. We've, we've seen in increases in both. That'll probably slow too. So we have to brace ourselves and maybe not spend as much. We've got to be a little more careful. The economy is slowing. Hopefully not. It won't be too much, too much pain in, involved. One of my last questions for you, and this is probably a big question, but I've been following. Um, the markets are interesting because I think some of the trepidation ups and downs we're seeing in the market are man-made. I know that may drive you crazy by me saying that they're more the fundamentals are more important than man-made things, but I'm going to go to, op, I'm going to go to Tesla um, because I, I just read a report that said Tesla could fall more than 60% if it's valued as a traditional automaker like Ford or General Motors. Uh, we saw it fall, I think 12% just yesterday. What does the, what does the future of Elon Musk in the EV industry at Tesla, what does Tesla look like as it goes forward? Is it eventually going to be traded like Ford and General Motors? What does that mean for shareholders? And can they get rid of them? Well, um, would they? I don't think they want to get rid of Elon Musk. I think what they would want to do is have him focus on his company again. How about not be on Twitter all day long and, and firing people at Twitter and be focused on Twitter? It's been a real massive distraction for him. He's done a great job at um at Tesla. Why not refocus on Tesla? Also, he's frankly made Tesla into something about a political statement, buying Tesla or ignoring Tesla because he's moved to the right. He's encouraged people to vote Republican. Um, he's made political statements, Elon Musk. It's made buying a Tesla something of a political act, which has hurt the company. There are all kinds of reasons. But going back to your point about markets, um, I'm the reason I, I love what I do, I write about markets and investors is it's all about emotion and, and behavioral mistakes and fear and greed and home runs and strikeouts. If you're a sports person, you, you'll appreciate this. And when it came to Tesla, there was excessive optimism and people were paying prices for the shares that were just outrageous. So yeah, they've come down about 65% over the past year. Some people think they're going to continue to go down. And that's because they don't trade like other kinds of companies, be it auto companies or other companies. There's such um, a, a, um, excitement about the future. They don't really, people don't care about current earnings, next year's earnings, even the next few years. They're thinking about 10 years, 20 years down the road, and they've gotten carried away. So, yeah, the stock could come down and, and, and over the next year. It's already come down a lot. The company will survive, though. It may make a great car. And I think investors, my, my guess, my real prediction here, I've got, and I've got no basis for this, is, but I think he, over the course of 2023, realizes that that um, it's been a, a complete distraction buying Twitter, being focused, focused on Twitter, and he cuts his losses there, sells Twitter to a private equity firm, refocuses on Tesla, and that helps uh, the automaker. Well, I was going to ask you, are there any big predictions 
for the markets in 2023. That was a pretty, pretty big fucking prediction. There you what go. Companies, what companies are you watching in 2023 and what should we be doing with our money this year? So I've always, I'm always fascinated by biotech. Biotech is where there are all kinds of revolutions going on. You have this company Moderna uh, up in Boston. I wrote a book that featured them. You know, they obviously are responsible for these COVID vaccines, them and, 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 and Pfizer, but Moderna is working on all kinds of really interesting new stuff a vaccine against cancer. Um, RSV, we're all talking about RSV now. It's killing young babies and, and elderly, and a lot of people are sick with it. They've got an RSV vaccine they're working on. They're a fascinating company. So to me, the COVID revolution was just sort of the first chapter for Moderna. I'm not predicting necessarily that they're going to have the same kind of success for the future, but they're a company I'm keeping an eye on. They're one of these American fascinating cutting edge technology companies, and they're not in Silicon Valley. They're not doing stuff in the in the cloud. They're actually trying to help us and, and, and cure us. So I'm keeping an eye on Moderna. How can people follow you um, uh, on social media and uh, maybe follow the Wall Street Journal or the work you do over there? So yeah, I'm on I'm Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and I love interacting with people. People have got ideas for stories, for books, for things that we should be working on. Constructive criticism. I don't want to hear the the fake news. Uh, um, uh, tweets and, and, and emails, but email me too. I'm at gregory.zuckerman at wsj.com. We're uh, always trying to improve uh, in, in our reporting and my colleagues and I, and, and we're hoping 2023, there are all kinds of interesting new stories, but we're uh, eager to hear from you guys. So reach out. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mr. Zuckerman. I got that right. Impressive. Most people don't. Yeah. A lot of people, I'll go to the uh, air, airport and people say, are you related to the Facebook founder? I'm like, huh? It's a different name. But we both start <laughs> with Zucker. So, yes. Um, ha happy New Year. It was, a, it was a lot of fun uh, being in touch. All right. Thank you, brother. Be safe.